0: Well, brothers and sisters, I was excited to be here with you this morning for Easter service, but I wasn't anticipating being here in this capacity for Easter service. So, um, so, so work with me this morning, okay? Um, but I trust that God's going to bless us as we open his word. Um, let's just pray together. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we want to pray specifically for your word that we are about to look at. Lord, as we open the, the, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians today, Lord, we pray that you would open hearts, that you would open ears to receive it, Lord. We pray that we would be challenged, that we would be encouraged in the hope of the resurrection. Lord, I pray for anyone who's coming in today, Lord, who may not yet know the hope of Jesus Christ raised from the dead, that, Lord, that you would open their heart to it this morning, Lord, would you lead us today? Would you help us to rejoice in Christ? More than anything, we pray that you would magnify your Son, the name above every name, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you just to, uh, to, to get it open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have one with you, uh, there's probably one in the pew right in front of you. You can open that up if you would like. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at a few verses there, verses three through eight. Uh, if you're wondering how to find that in your Bible, because uh, maybe you're not familiar, if you just go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Stop right there, chapter 15. You're in the right location. And today, we are going to look at the words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the Corinthian church in this chapter. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote in in this portion, he wrote to the Corinthians to explain the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope that we have because Christ has been raised from the dead, The Apostle Paul makes known to the Corinthian people how important this hope is. Now, this is not just a hope, as Brian mentioned, as the world uses the word hope, which is kind of, you know, a loosey-goosey hope, you know, I kind of hope this will happen, or maybe this will happen, or I hope it'll be, you know, sunny and nice tomorrow. It's not that kind of a hope. This is a rock-solid assurance, An immovable assurance. Assurance that you can bank your life on, that you can bank your eternity on. It is that kind of a hope. And so the Apostle Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 3, he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. This morning, I want to dig into this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And to do that, I want to start where Paul starts, with the the gospel hope. I want us to back up this morning, just back up a couple days, back up to Good Friday this morning, because that's where Paul starts right here in this passage. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance, meaning this is of utmost importance. There is nothing more important in this world than the message that Paul is about to give us right here in this text. And Paul starts with what took place on what is known as Good Friday. He said, for I delivered to you what I also received, that Christ died. So when we think about the gospel of hope, the gospel of hope, we need to think first and foremost about the death of Jesus Christ that we remembered on Good Friday. And so I want to take us there just for a moment. I want us to consider briefly the death of Christ. I know we talked a lot about the death of Christ on Good Friday, but it's crucial for us to understand that Jesus died and that he died for a very specific reason if we would understand the hope and the glory and the greatness of the resurrection. So walk with me as we walk back to Good Friday and we take a brief look at the death of our Lord and Savior. First of all, we know that Jesus was arrested that he was brought before a pilot and the Sanhedrin. And I'm just going to give you kind of the Coles notes on this. We know that Jesus received a brutal, an absolutely brutal beating, which included what was known as a scourging, a scourging in the Roman world. We know that that the Roman people were a cruel people in Jesus' day. Would we agree with that? In fact, their cruelty in torturing their captives was so severe that they were known to be the most fearsome nation in this regard. And part of the beating that Christ received was this scourging, this whipping, and this was a whipping that took place with what was known as a cat of nine tails. It was a whip with nine ends, and in each of those ends was a a piece of Of rock or a piece of metal wrapped in leather, and this whip into this whip was beaten pieces of rock and fragments of glass, pottery, and metal shards. He was sentenced to receive 40 lashes, but they would take one off, so 39 lashes was the beating that Christ received. Well, why, why not 40 if he was sentenced to 40? Because they knew that if they gave someone 40 lashes with this whip, that it would very, very likely take their life. It would kill them. Or else they would go comatose because of the excruciating pain. So Jesus was scourged with a brutal whipping that would have completely lacerated his entire back. One of the early church fathers who observed this Um, said that the Roman crucifixion was, was described as being the most gruesome, the most grotesque, the most horrific means of torturing a victim before their death. After this scourging, we know that Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross. Nails driven in at the base of his hands, one in this hand, one in this hand, and his two feet pinned together on the cross, and then the cross was lifted up, and it was dropped with a jarring action into a hole in the ground, and he hung on the cross. Now, the most terrible part of the crucifixion was that in order to breathe while hanging on the cross... You had to lift yourself up with your hands or push yourself against the nails that were driven through your feet in order just to catch a breath. So there was constant pressure on the chest that would not allow someone to breathe fully. It wouldn't collapse your chest and kill you instantly, but you could never catch a full breath. And Christ hung on the cross this way. A crown of thorns was driven onto his head. If you've ever had a thorn in your foot, you can imagine what having a crown on your head, driven into your head, would be like. Roman crucifixion was intended, it was designed to be horrific, to be a warning to everybody who beheld it. The point of crucifixion was to kill the victim, but not to kill the victim quickly. So near sundown, the centurions came. They came to the place where Christ was crucified and where the two thieves one on each side were crucified. And they came to him, and they weren't going to leave them hanging on the cross on the Sabbath day that was against the Jewish custom. And so they came to the thieves that were crucified on each side. The first thief was alive, and so what they did is they broke his legs. Well, why did they break his legs? Because when they break the legs, you can no longer push yourself up anymore to catch the full breath, and so all of the weight goes down, and you die by asphyxiation. They went to the next thief, same thing, broke his legs. They came to Christ, and they knew that he was already dead. Yet, being a Roman soldier, there's kind of two things that are really important to Roman soldiers. One, that they do their job to the utmost without any error. Because an error means you lose this part of you, right? And secondly, that they were highly skilled and highly trained Killing machines. So they knew exactly what to do in this case. Well, this guy, Jesus, hanging on this cross, he looks dead. Well, let's make sure. So one of the Roman soldiers took a spear and, pushing with an upward thrust between Jesus' third and fourth rib, they shoved the spear into his chest cavity. And when they pulled out the spear, what came out? Blood and water. Have you ever considered why blood and water, why it says blood and water in the gospel accounts? Why is that significant? Well, it's significant because the soldiers already knew that Jesus was dead. But they had to have some proof, some evidence to prove to Pilate and to prove to the officials that he was dead. So when they shoved the spear into him and pulled it back, when the mixture of blood and water came out, that was clear, substantial proof that he was dead dead on the cross. So Jesus died on the cross. That doesn't answer the question, why did he die on the cross? We're going to touch that in just a second, but I think it's very, very important that each one of us be incredibly clear on this point that Jesus Christ did not swoon on the cross. He did not faint on the cross. He did not pass out for a moment on the cross. He died on the cross. Would we agree with that today? Yeah, so if you're not sure about the blood and water thing, go check that out on your own, and you'll, you'll find that that only happens to dead people. In fact, the centurions later on um, go to Pilate, and they actually say, no, he was dead. This is the evidence that we have, okay? And their life would have been on the line if they were lying about that. And so Jesus was dead on the cross. Well, why? Why did he die on the cross? Why did he have to die on the cross? Well, Jesus Christ died on the cross for the greatest problem this world has ever seen. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the greatest problem this world has ever seen. And what is the greatest problem that this world has ever seen? It's sin. It's the sin problem. It's not just sin out there distantly in other people. It is sin right here at home. It's sin in me. It is sin in you. In fact, G.K. Chesterton, a great author in his witty, cheeky style was once asked in an interview what the greatest problem in the world was in his day. G.K. Chesterton replied, I am. I am the greatest problem. What Chesterton was getting at there when he said that is, is not to say, oh, I'm really actually the biggest problem in the world. He was saying, no, it's this sin thing inside of me, inside of you. If human beings were sinless, we wouldn't have any problems in this world. Have you ever considered that before? The greatest problem in this world is not just corrupt government. The greatest problem in this world is not just wars and terrorist attacks and this suffering and that suffering. Those are all rooted back to this one massive problem of sin. And that is the problem that Jesus Christ came to solve. That's good news. That's good news. And when he hung there on the cross, he bore our sins. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself, Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Praise God. Praise God. It is good news, church, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. It is good news. Because if he hadn't died on that cross, we would still be in our sins. In fact, all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament was pointing forward to Christ on the cross. All of the Old Testament sacrifice pointing forward to the perfect sacrifice that would come, the Lamb of God who would give himself on the cross. And so today, we have gospel hope because Jesus Christ has died in our place. But listen, that's not all that we need to see. That's enough of a recap of Good Friday, but we need to pick up the story where we are today. Secondly, secondly we have gospel hope because Jesus was buried, because Jesus actually went into the grave. He went into a tomb. John chapter 19 records Jesus' burial, and it, it says that a man named Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate. Okay, Pontius Pilate, and he requested Jesus' body, that, that that it be buried in a tomb. He requested the body. The centurions, according to Mark's gospel, Mark 15, the centurions confirmed with Pilate that Jesus was actually dead. Okay, Pilate was not going to let Joseph have the body unless he was dead. So they gave testimony, yes, he was dead. And so Joseph of Arimathea was given the body of Christ, and him and Nicodemus, they took Jesus' body, they wrapped him in grave clothes and packed his his grave clothes with spices and with ointments, and then they put him in a tomb, a tomb that no one was ever laid in before, It says in in John chapter 19, verse 40, so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen with spices, with cloth and spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews, and they placed it in a garden tomb which no one had been laid. And so Jesus was laid in the tomb Friday evening. He was laid in the tomb Friday evening. But during the course of events, the, the soldiers were sent to guard this tomb. Okay, so the Jews feared that somebody would, that the disciples would come and they would somehow steal the body away and claim that Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay. The, 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 the Jews feared this. And so they went to Pilate and they said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You're not just going to leave that tomb unguarded, are you? And they explained their case and Pilate said, fine, you've got a guard go. And so he sent a bunch of soldiers to the tomb to do two things. Okay. Remember these are Roman soldiers. If they fail in their job, they lose their life. Okay, their life is literally on the line. They were to seal the tomb. So the stone was placed in front, but they were to put a seal around it and they were to guard that tomb. So at this point, we can say, okay, Jesus clearly died on the cross. Would we agree with that? Yeah, okay, Jesus clearly died. Um, And according to the history that we read here, Jesus was clearly laid in a tomb. Would we agree? Great, he's laid in a tomb. Would we agree that that tomb was secure? You know, with about 20, 25, 30 Roman soldiers standing around it with all of their gear, their life on the line if something were to happen. I would say it's secure, okay? It's secure. So Jesus died, buried in a tomb, tomb secured. Okay, this is not looking good at this point. But then something incredible, something miraculous happens on Sunday morning. So Jesus was laid in the tomb Friday evening. He was in the tomb all day Saturday, all Saturday night. And just at daybreak, something absolutely unexpected, miraculous, breathtaking happens on Sunday morning. Easter's full of surprises, isn't it? Great surprises on Easter, But the greatest surprise of all was what happened at the tomb on Easter morning. Early in the morning, Mary... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they were on their way to take more spices to finish the burial work. Nicodemus and Joseph had packed Jesus' body, but they they weren't done with it. They they did it because the the Sabbath day was upon them. They only had limited time. So they did what they could do, got them in the tomb, okay? And and so Mary and Mary were on their way to the tomb, and as they were going, they were taking these spices with them, and they were talking about, how are we gonna get the stone moved? They didn't know there was a Roman guard and all of this yet, I believe, they're on their way thinking, how are we going to move this stone? They really didn't have much of a plan because the stone that was put in place was way too big for just two people to move. Okay, Way too big for two people to move. And so they're wrestling with this, but when they show up to the tomb, when they show up to the tomb, the stone is rolled away. Well, shortly before that, something absolutely incredible happened. Remember, the Roman soldiers are guarding the tomb, right? They're guarding the tomb. Just around daybreak, there is an earthquake. The earth trembles. And the stone rolls away from the tomb. And when the Roman soldiers look to investigate, there is light, there is an angel, and they fall on the ground as dead men, it says. And Jesus is not there. Now when Mary and Mary arrive at the tomb, they find that the stone is already rolled away. And when they look inside the tomb, they see an angel sitting there and they see Jesus' burial clothes all folded up and sitting in one place. Now this is sometimes where skeptics will say, well, I think that maybe Jesus snuck out the back entrance. Sounds logical except a tomb only has one entrance because anybody who's put in a tomb isn't going out of the tomb, right? Um, somebody will say, well, maybe somebody snuck in and resuscitated him. You know, maybe he was really out and uh, maybe the spear missed his heart and uh, maybe, you know, somebody snuck in, you know, with one of those things that you shock people with and I haven't heard anybody say that before. I'm just, I'm making that up, all right, okay? But things like that, well, listen. A heart shocker thing's not going to work if you've got a spear hole in your heart, I'm just saying. Um, but people will come up with all of these ideas of, of what could have possibly happened. But let, you, let me remind you, we've already, we've already come to the conclusion that Jesus was clearly dead, have we not? According to the testimony of Scripture, in fact, if you're not sure about Scripture on that one, go and check the histories that were written at the time. History concludes the same thing. And that he was buried and that the tomb was sealed, and that it was heavily, heavily guarded, and that something incredible happened on that morning, an earthquake, and the stone rolled away, and is an angel, enough so that these Roman soldiers, who knew their life would be on the line, went back and reported what had happened. And when they got back to the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, and they reported what happened, what do you think the religious leaders did? Instead of repenting and confessing that Jesus was in fact the Christ, they tried to buy off the soldiers. They gave them money, and they said, if anybody hears about this, if anybody you know, says anything else, you, you, just say, you just say that the disciples came while you were sleeping and stole the body away, and we will make sure that you are covered. And they gave them money, and they bought them off. So there is a conspiracy at Easter, but it was the conspiracy of the Jewish Leaders, not the conspiracy of the Christians to steal away the body. And how do we know this? Well, we know it by what happened afterwards. Jesus was raised from the dead. He wasn't resuscitated. He wasn't revived because he was actually dead. He was raised by the power of God from the dead. God the Father chose to raise up Jesus Christ to bring life into his broken, crucified body through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was raised from the dead. And how can we be certain of that? Because, because he appeared. He appeared to his disciples he appeared to his disciples over a period of time in many different scenes, in many different ways, many different actions. If you read the New Testament, you read the testimony of the New Testament, the amount of times that Christ appears to someone or appears to the disciples is absolutely overwhelming. Great afternoon study for you if you want something that's just going to be like, wow, this is a lot. Okay? Um, go home and find all of the appearances of where Christ appeared to the disciples and put them all together. While well, Paul kind of tracks it down right here for us, just kind of in shorthand, uh, Paul's list, I don't think Paul intends for it to be a, a complete list that has every appearance in it. He just gives us a shorthand account, and he says right here in this text that Jesus, he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Now, he doesn't include Mary and Mary. Christ appeared to them. They were the first to see the resurrected Christ. Why doesn't he include them? Well, their testimony would not have been counted um, in Jesus' day in first century, in the first century world. So he doesn't include them in his list. But he says that he appeared to Peter, Peter to Cephas. Well, why is Peter significant? Well, Peter is very significant in this, Because if you remember Peter on Good Friday, what was Peter like on Good Friday? Was he a hero? Was he brave? No, he was a coward, wasn't he? He was standing by a fire, warming his hands, and a slave girl said, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And what did he do? He denied Christ. And she said, I think you are. He denied, he, and then he denied, even with cursing, that, that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter was a coward. Christ appears to Peter. Peter's life is radically transformed at that moment. Just think about this. Peter goes on to preach the gospel all through Jerusalem, Judea, all the way into Rome. Peter ultimately dies in Rome as a martyr for the truth of the gospel. How does a person go from being a coward to willing to lay their life down unless something massive and dramatic happened? Well, what happened to Peter? He encountered the risen Christ. His life was transformed. That's convincing. That's powerful. But not only Peter. He appeared, Paul says, to 500 brothers at one time. Well, why is that significant? Well, 500's a lot of people. Okay, that's a lot of people. But I want you to imagine that on my way in today that I witnessed something that was absolutely amazing. Okay, I don't know what it was, but it was something absolutely amazing, and I witnessed it. Uh, you, you'd probably hear my story, and what would be the first thing that you would ask? Did anybody else see it? This is what I say to my kids, right? When, when one of my kids comes up with some crazy story that probably never happened, I'd be like, well, did anybody else see it, right? This is the question that we ask. Did anybody else see it? Well, Paul says right here that 500 brothers at one time witnessed Jesus Christ, but in fact, he doesn't just say 500 brothers at one time and leave it floating out there. He says, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, if you're not sure about this, go and ask them. Go and ask the witnesses yourself. Paul gives an open invitation to inquire of the witnesses. 500 brothers at one time. And then he says, and then he appeared to James, and then he appeared to all of the apostles. Now, in John, it tells us that Thomas wasn't there when Christ first appeared to all of the apostles. We all remember, Peter denied Christ, but Thomas was a doubter, right? Thomas doubted. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the disciples. And Thomas came back, and they they told him about Christ appearing, and he said, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it. No way. I'm not going to believe it until I can put my finger in the holes of his hand and put my hand in his side. And so Christ appears to all of them gathered together. And Jesus invites Thomas, John, John, Chapter 20, verse 27 and 28 says this. Then he, being Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hand. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Listen, maybe you're here today and maybe you resonate with one of these two characters, Peter Maybe you've walked with Christ for a while in your life and then denied Christ and turned away from him. God can transform you. God can change you just as he changed Peter. Put your hope in him again today. Trust him again today. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're a lot like Thomas. You say, you know, if I could just see the resurrected Christ, then I would believe. If I could just put my finger, if I could just feel the holes in his hand, I would believe. But listen, listen, It's easy for us in some ways to look back and to think, man, if we were just there, it'd be so much easier to believe, isn't it? But yet at the same time, you know, the disciples didn't see all of these things as clearly as we do. We have the complete testimony of scripture laid out in front of us. That's an amazing blessing, isn't it? We have the guiding light of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. But Thomas responded in that moment when Jesus gave him this invitation. Thomas responded in the most incredible way. Verse 28 says this, Thomas answered him. Now I imagine that in this moment, Thomas fell down on his knees. He just maybe even fell down right flat on the floor. I imagine that. It doesn't say that in the text, but that's the picture that I get. And and before the Lord, he said, my Lord and my God. He believed. He went from disbelieving from doubting to believing in a moment. That can happen in your life too. Just like that. Faith in Jesus Christ. But he made this confession. He said, my Lord and my God. You know, some people will say sometimes, well, you know, Jesus never really claimed to be God anywhere in scripture. I beg to differ on that one. Uh, If you read John's gospel and you know anything about uh, what I am meant in the Hebrew, Jesus claimed to be God an awful lot of times in John's gospel. In fact, that's why the Jews wanted to crucify him. They were envious, and they knew that he claimed to be God. That's why they wanted him killed. Um, But right here, Thomas proclaims Jesus as his Lord and his God. And notice, Jesus doesn't rebuke him for it, does he? Amazing. Amazing. Jesus receives Thomas's worship as Lord and God, because that's exactly what he is. It's exactly what he is. If he wasn't, it would be blasphemy for Thomas to say it, and it would be blasphemy for Christ to receive it. But Jesus says this, after Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Listen, brothers and sisters, it's so easy for us to look back and think, if I was just in the place of the disciples, I'd have such a strong faith compared to what I do right now. But Jesus says right here that there is a greater blessing for the people who weren't there to see him. There's a greater blessing for us today, for people who believe through faith, who trust the the testimony of scripture, who trust in him as Lord and Savior. There is a greater blessing for you and me to receive today. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. That is awesome. So Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He was He died, he was buried in a tomb, the tomb was sealed, on the third day the tomb was empty and then he appeared to countless people over a period of about 40 days and then he ascended into heaven and his disciples watched him go. And when he ascended into heaven, he ascended, after giving his great commission, he ascended to his seat at the Father's right hand you say, well, where is Jesus Christ today? He's right where he's supposed to be today. He's sitting at the Father's right hand. Well, what is he doing today? Oh, great question. He's doing a lot today. He is interceding for people like me. He's interceding before the Father, and he's interceding against the accusations of the enemy. We know that Satan is a liar and accuser of the brethren. That's what he likes to do. He likes to accuse those who would believe in Christ, and Jesus Christ intercedes there at the Father's right hand. But that's not all that he's doing. He's also reigning. In fact, this text in verse 25 says, uh, verse 25 it says, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. He must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. You say, well how is Jesus reigning today? He is reigning sovereignly over this world in this moment right now. He is orchestrating and working behind the scenes all things according to his glory, according to his name. He is allowing his church to advance through a system of seeming defeats. Isn't that incredible? The church moves forward. Everything that would appear to be a a moment where the church would be destroyed somehow advances the kingdom of God in Christ. And so he's reigning. He's bringing everything to its perfect conclusion. Listen, brothers and sisters. That gives us great reason to hope today, doesn't it? We have reason to hope because Jesus is not dead. We have reason to hope because Jesus has been raised from the grave. He has triumphed over sin. He has triumphed over death. He has won the victory. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he is interceding for us there. And not only that, he is returning He is going to return, and he is going to establish his kingdom. He is going to set all things right. Listen, this gives us incredible hope for today. It gives us hope for today. It gives us hope for tomorrow and for all of eternity because Jesus Christ has been raised from the grave. He's been raised from the grave. He was raised to reign And listen, if Christ has been raised from the grave, we need to understand that those of us who trust in Jesus Christ will also be raised. Paul captures that in this passage. Verse 22, he says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. He also says a similar thing in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with him, with Christ, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Meaning if Jesus Christ was raised by the power of God from the grave, then we too who have trusted in Christ will be raised to life eternal. That is good news. That is an awesome foundation of hope. That is worth rejoicing and praising the Lord for. Praise God. Christ is risen from the grave. He's triumphed. He's triumphed over my sin. He's triumphed over your sin. He has triumphed over the power of the grave. And he's triumphed over the power of death. He is reigning at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for his saints and his church. His work is going on and he is returning for us one day. And on that day, we will be raised up. Praise God. Praise God. And so today, I want to extend the invitation to anyone who is here today and would find themselves in a place like Peter, in denial, in disbelief, or in a place like Thomas, doubting. I want to extend Christ's invitation that comes right out of Matthew chapter 11. There in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, anyone who is weary and heavy laden, come to me, come to me. He offers you the greatest invitation. Today, If you don't know him as Lord, he offers to take your sin, the consequences of your sin, the the debt of your sin. He offers you, in exchange for your sin, eternal life today, if you will simply trust him and receive it. That is a great offer. That is good news. I also want to just encourage anyone who is here who, who knows the Lord, but is just weighed down with guilt and shame And the weight of life. Look to Christ today. Look to his resurrection today. Look to the hope that he gives. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. We will be raised from the dead. Because Christ is lifted up. We will be lifted up. Because Christ has paid the price for our sin. We will not pay the price for our sin. That is good news. Look to Christ and rejoice. And for all of you that are looking to Christ and rejoicing today. I just want to encourage you. Rejoice in that hope. Share that hope with others. and Live in the joy of a resurrected life. Walk in the newness of it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that is filled with such truth. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word to each one that is here today, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would work to stir up faith in hearts that are struggling. Lord, I pray that you would encourage those who are downtrodden right now, Lord. I pray that you would bring hope into every soul, Lord. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in you and to display your glory, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. We ask it for his namesake. Amen. Amen.